Well, if you don't know me, my name is Josh Haas. Um, I am an associate pastor here, and I would love um, if you guys would just extend your hands toward me. I'd love to cover what we're about to do in prayer. It's already been covered, but I can never get too much. So, Lord, um, I thank you for this opportunity to hear myself talk. I thank you, God, that um, you're putting uh, your your word, and you, I pray, God, that you would clear out any distractions, anything that would be outside of, of what you want us to hear. Let us hear what we need to hear this morning. And Lord, let it never, ever, ever be boring. Let this be great and fun and life-changing. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and say, um, I hate it when the pastor tells me to turn to my neighbor and say something. Because it makes me feel manipulated. I've always wanted to do that. Everybody have a great Easter. Doesn't is it just beautiful outside too? I mean this this weekend's gorgeous. It's amazing. I won't keep you too long because I want to get out in it some too. So last week was Easter Sunday. Hopefully you knew that. That's why it was so full. You couldn't find a parking spot. It was amazing. Um, and this week is the week after Easter, if you didn't know that. I hope you marked your calendars, because I get to talk to you a little bit. And I was thinking um, about Easter. Aaron did such a great job, didn't he? Just, like, he, he preached from Genesis to Revelation and hope, and it was just an amazing message. I really, really enjoyed it. And I was thinking about what I wanted to share, and I keep hearing it said over and over again, which made me think, well, God, should I say some things that people have been saying? Because I don't want to repeat what's already been said. But then I realized, you know what, if God's saying it, maybe this is just the word for the season that we're in. And so I'm just going to go with, with some of the things I'm hearing. So um, one of the things that Aaron talked about last week was reminding us about hope, not just that Jesus came, but that he's coming back. And I think, you know, um, certainly in the 70s, the 80s, and even into the 90s, there was a huge focus on, so much focus on Jesus coming back, so much obsession on it that they decided, you know, are the believers going to stay here and go through the tribulation? Are they going to be taken away when Jesus comes back? And people got so obsessed and worried about it, it causes div divisions and splits. There was a reaction to that that people just stopped thinking about the fact that Jesus is coming back. And so we, it's like the, the church swung the other way and, and totally forgot about it. But um, I want to kind of go into um, thinking about what happened after Easter. What happened to the disciples and, and how their lives were changed and transformed. And I want to look at I want to think about hope, but I want to think about it in a little bit different detail. I want to think about some of the things that could take our eyes off hope and some of the things that we often tend to confuse with hope. We think that we're, we're living hopeful, but really it's something else that we could be living in. And so for me to start this off, um, I have a couple of scriptures that I want to share. One is before... Jesus died and rose again, and one of them is after. 
So let me set up the, the situation because I know we have all different levels of, of believers here. Some of you are brand new believers and all of this stuff is new. So if this is review for you, that should be good. That should be okay. And if this is brand new for you, even better. You get to hear this. Go back and check it out in your Bible. So I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version because like I said, it's a beautiful day and I'm not going to read through the whole scripture. I want you to be able to have time to actually go out in your life and apply this. Here's where we are as I, I'm going to get into this scripture. So Jesus um, is at the end of three years of ministry. He's done signs, wonders, miracles. He's had these amazing teachings with authority. He's done so many amazing things. The disciples have been around him. Um, and he goes in and they have the Last Supper and he predicts that he's going to die. And this is the Good Friday portion of the story. And then he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane. And this is where he goes into prayer and um, brings, brings some of the, uh, the disciples with him. And as he's praying, um, you know, he's just struggling through what he's about to do because he knows he's going to go and die. And then he finally he gets arrested. And um, there's a short little conflict between the, the, the apostles and, and the, the, the people who are arresting him. And this is the short little scripture that I wanted to look at where things were. Mark 14:50, if I can get that up. This is what it said. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Okay? That's where they were after three years of seeing him teach, do signs, wonders, and miracles, just these mountaintop experiences, these amazing things that's happened. It all came to this point. They're in the garden, and everybody deserted him. Everybody left. So fast forward past that scripture. I'll give a little more details in a minute. After that, we know the rest of the story. That was Easter, right? He rose from the dead. Everything was wonderful again. All of that, the, the disciples other than Judas, they all came back to him. And um, he stayed around for a while, about 40 days. He hung out after he rose from the dead. There's this guy who had died, he, and he rose again, and he's, he's going around, and it doesn't give a whole lot of detail of all the things that he did, but he was around for 40 days and kind of building their faith. Um, one of the things that he told them was, wait for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is coming. It'll be, um, you'll know it's there because of the power that comes with Holy Spirit. And um, then once the Holy Spirit comes, then what I want you to do is, I want you to go out and tell everybody about what just happened, about what I'm doing. Tell, tell them that I came back and that there's a place for them in my kingdom. And then Jesus left again. So he comes back, he teaches them, and then he just leaves. And he says, but I am going to be back, so get ready. I'm going to be back. Now, he doesn't give a timeline of when he's going to be back. A lot of people have tried to figure out that timeline. A lot of people have been wrong. But he says that he's going to be back. So what happens is he left the apostles, disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit shows up, 
these amazing miracles happen, tongues of fire, they, they, they speak in other languages. Um, and then they start doing the things that he told them to do. They go out and they are witnesses. They tell the story of what they saw that happened when he was around. And they tell the story that they saw that he was back. And they saw miracles happen through them. They saw healings. They saw miraculous things take place. So in the midst of that, they're out and they're ministering and it's like this amazing time and Jesus came back. Well, all of a sudden in the midst of that, a couple of times they get arrested because they're causing trouble again. Everybody thought that when Jesus was crucified, there would be no more trouble, but it just started multiplying because now instead of one guy preaching things, you got multiple people preaching things and it's growing. Momentum is happening. And the council, the Jewish council, doesn't really know what to do with, with what's happening. And so um, they call the apostles together and um, they have them flogged. And if you don't know what flogged is, it's beaten or whipped. There are a few ways that they did it, but it was not a fun thing. It was a very inhumane thing. They whipped them possibly with, with whips or with canes or something some kind of beating, and it was no mild treatment. And they ordered them not to speak the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And um, that's where I want to pick up with this scripture. This is Acts 5, 40 and 41. And I'm just going to read uh, the second part of 40 because it's, it's pertinent. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish council, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. That's the name of Jesus. Day after day, the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. Now think about this. These guys, many of them were with Jesus before. And when everything fell apart, when Jesus got captured, when suffering was looking like it was going to happen, they all left. Then Jesus comes back and he says, you know, here's what's happening. Here's the plan. But then he leaves again. And all of a sudden, they really start suffering. And as time got on, it went worse. But instead of running away from the suffering, they get excited about it. They counted themselves worthy to suffer for the name. And I, as I look at that and I read that, I'm like, what changed these guys from guys who wanted to avoid suffering to a group of, of, of people who were like, not only did they not avoid it, but they rejoiced that they were worthy to suffer. That is what amazes me. So, in order to understand this, I want to give you a little bit of Jewish perspective on things. So, we're going to go dig into a little bit of Old Testament really fast, really brief overview. I can't go as deep as, as would do true um, justice about this, but um, I'll give you what details I can to kind of give you some perspective of what happened. So the Old Testament highlights the story of God 
and a people that he chose and set aside to, to bless and be a blessing to the world. These are the Jewish people or um, the nation of Israel. And they have this dramatic history. A lot of different things happen, but eventually they establish a kingdom and they have their own kings. And the kings rule and the whole job of the kings is to keep the nation moving toward intimacy and connection with, with God and to let that be a blessing to the rest of the world. But the kings kind of have their ups and downs and every once in a while you get a good king who maybe gets a B plus or maybe, maybe a B, B minus on how well he does. And then somebody else will come along and, and they, do, they get an F. And so maybe you get two, maybe even three in a row who were halfway decent kings, but it always comes back down. It always, they, they never completely follow the Lord in the way that God intended. So this happens for, for centuries, and there are different things that happen. There's a, a split in the kingdom, basically like a civil war. And um, eventually, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, get overthrown. The country gets taken over by an outside government. And that government changes hands at different points. They, they take the, the people away at one point, and then another government comes in, and they let them come back into their old kingdom. But the whole time, they're under a different rule. They're ruled by a different group of, of people, a different government. So imagine it like this. I like to kind of bring it into to something that I can relate to. Imagine the United States was called by God to be an example of God's blessing and to bless the world. That doesn't sound too far of a stretch. Very well could be. And as we go, we have these ups and downs, and eventually another country, say Russia, South Korea, China, pick one that we've been at odds with, doesn't matter, pick one, comes in and actually conquers us, and we still get to live here, but under that rule, we, we have to pay taxes to them. They have the final say in anything that we can do, and re we really don't have independence. They give us the laws, and we have to follow their laws. We don't have our own way of doing things. So as this is going on, as this is happening in Israel, there are these prophecies that come up, and they're speaking of a day when eventually somebody who is going to come along who's called the Messiah, the Christ, the one who's going to come and restore things so they don't have to live under this hardship. A new king is coming. Because when, the, um, when you're under occupation of an outside government, you're under their king, you're under their rule. You don't get to use your king. You don't have a king other than them. But there's this prophecy that there's going to be somebody coming who actually is going to be your king, the king of your people, the Messiah, the Savior. So they keep talking about this. They keep looking forward to this day coming, and, and guys show up, people show up, and let's take it back into something we can relate to present day. Let's say... Our country's been taken over, and somebody comes in, and, and Matt Simmons comes along, and he says, we need to overthrow this government, and we're going to do it the Navy firefighter way. <clears throat> and he comes in, and, and 
people rally around him. They're getting excited, and finally, it's going to happen. There's a Savior, and it's Matt Simmons, and he's come to save us, and he's going to get elected president, and, he's going to, and, and the United States is going to be restored to what the former glory was, and maybe even better. And something happens, and all of a sudden, Matt is killed. Sorry, Matt. And all the hope that you had in this new Savior coming went down the toilet. So you go a little while longer, and um, another guy comes along named Nick Lambert. And he comes along, and he's like, no, no, we're going to do it the Air Force police way. And we're going to take over, and we're going to take this kingdom back. And we're going to, to, and so you get excited about this, and we've got somebody else, and this guy's different, and it's going to work, and they're going after this, they're going after this, and all of a sudden, Nick is killed as well. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> and all of your hopes, everything that you were excited about of your country being restored is all down the drain again. And this happens a few times over and over, and every time, and after a while, you start wondering, is this really going to happen? Is, is this ever really going to happen? Israel existed for hundreds of years, longer than the United States existed under rule of other countries. And so finally, along comes this guy named Jesus. And he comes in, and he starts teaching with authority. He opens up scriptures and he teaches things like somebody who wrote them, like somebody who knows. Not just somebody who studied them a lot, but somebody who can actually give you intricate details explaining what they mean. And not only does he do that, he starts doing miracles, he raises people from the dead. He starts doing things like walking on water, which I've done before. It was frozen at the time, but I have done it. <laughs> but he does these things, and people are, are just amazed, and they start whispering, could this be the guy? Could this be the one who's actually going to restore things and restore Israel? Could this be the guy? We had other people try, but they weren't doing nearly the things that this guy is doing. Maybe he's the one. And he doesn't always come out and say, yes, I'm the Christ, the Messiah. A couple times he, he, he does, but he never denies it either. He never says, no, 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 that's not me. He always starts pointing until the end where he really does reveal it. And so what would you think if your country was overtaken and there were these prophecies about things being restored? What would you think it would look like? What would you imagine was going to happen? I can tell you what most people in Israel thought. They thought he was going to come in, overthrow the government, be their new king, and everything would be great again. That's what was in their minds. That's what they were imagining. But let me tell you what happened. He let himself get arrested. He let himself die. And so all their conceptions of what was supposed to happen, they're like, this guy was amazing. We've never seen anybody like him. But now he's dead, just like every single other person who promised us before that they were going to create this amazing revolution. 
Can you imagine the disappointment? When Jesus gets arrested, can you imagine what they were thinking or what they were feeling? All their hopes were so far up. And maybe there's a little hope left of thinking, you know, maybe something amazing is going to happen, you know, before he actually dies on the cross. Maybe he'll just rip the cross down and he'll have the, the, the wood strapped to his arms and he'll start a revolution that way and he'll just go into combat mode. But that's not what happened. He actually died, just like everybody else before him. And I want to ask you, have you ever been at that point? Have you ever been at a place where you had all of these hopes and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and finally you feel like this is it, it's going to happen, here it is, and your hopes got dashed because it didn't happen the way you thought it was going to happen? So I don't hold it too much against the apostles that they ran away and that they left at that point. I can understand how they felt. I can understand what they were going through. But then what happened? Jesus came back. He was resurrected. And now what were they thinking? Well, now it's going to happen, right? All right, let's get ready for combat, man. He's coming back. We're going to overthrow the Romans. Let's get ready. But then here's what happens. Let's look at um, Acts 1. Acts 1, verses, we'll start with verse 6, 6 through 8. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? You see what was on their mind? Is it, it's going to happen now, right, Jesus? Like, you're back. Here we go. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now their vision just got exploded in that little statement there. Because he starts off with this is going to take place in Jerusalem, the capital, and Judea, the good guys, the country that you're a part of. But it's also going to extend to the other country that we had the civil war with and they ran away. It's going to them too, the ones we don't like so much because they left our country. They didn't want to be a part of our country. It's going to them too. And then he explodes it and expands it. And not only that, to the ends of the earth. Do you know who that includes? Rome. Those guys who just took you over, they're going to get the blessing too from you. I'm calling you to that. That country that just overthrew you, you're going to be witnessing to them as well. So after that, what happened next? Well, the Holy Spirit did come. They waited for a while, and the Holy Spirit came. And they had power. And then after that, what happened? Persecution. 
So they're seeing God work miracles, do amazing things. They're seeing people respond. They're seeing their numbers multiply. And then after that, they get persecuted. They get whipped, beaten, and many of them are martyred. They're killed. They die. People they were close to, people who were with Jesus, are executed. Now, how does this all add up? Jesus came back. All of their hope is there. And yet, somehow, instead of running away from all the persecution, they start running toward it and consider themselves blessed to be a part of that. How were they able to do that? Now, my first, my first thought was, well, they saw some miracles. But that wasn't enough before Jesus died. They saw miracles, many, many miracles. They saw miracles happen with their own hands when Jesus was alive. And yet, when it came down to it, when persecution, when times were about to get hard, they all fled. So seeing a miracle, seeing God just come in and intervene was not enough to allow them to persevere. It wasn't. So it wasn't just that they were seeing miracles, even though they were as amazing as those things are. I know times in my life I thought if I ever saw a miracle... I would never question God again. And then I saw a miracle, and I'm like, well, maybe it wasn't that good of a miracle. Give me another one, God, and then I'll believe you. And maybe another one after that, and a few more. And you think in your head you need convinced by a miracle. But the miracle is not what convinces you. It's your faith. When you see the miracle, you walk in and you believe that. So to, in, in my opinion, in, in my thought, the way I understand to explain what happened, the transformation of what happened with these, these followers of Jesus before he died and then after he came back, I need to talk about a psychology term. I know, that's kind of me. That's kind of how I roll. And this is kind of a buzzword lately, and so maybe a little bit more of a pop psychology term, but go with me on this. Have you ever heard of the term coping mechanism? It's been talked a lot about a lot lately. I want to explain just a little bit. Here's a dictionary definition of coping mechanism. An adaptation to environmental stress that is based on conscious or unconscious choice and that enhances control over behavior and gives psychological comfort. That's a lot of words. Let me kind of boil that down to what, it, what I, I think it means. In other words, when you feel stressed, these are the things you do to try to help you feel better. When anxiety stirs up, when depression is happening, these are the things that you do. So for me, it could be things like, you know, I need a hug. That's the, something that I might go for to help me feel better. I might immerse myself in baseball statistics. I know I'm weird, but I will want to go back to, you know, 1923 and see who led the league in RBIs. I don't know why that brings comfort to me, but it does, okay? I might sleep extra. You ever do that when you're in a tough time? You just, like, I really just need another hour of not facing the world, so I'm just going to sleep in today. 
That's a coping mechanism. That's what you're doing to try to deal with the situation in your life. Now, there are a couple of coping mechanisms that I like to talk about, and this, is, this one kind of entertains me. Have you ever heard the, the, the funny back-and-forth banner between Aaron and Nicole when they're talking about optimism and pessimism? You're familiar with that? If you've been here any amount of time, you know, they kind of have this thing back and forth, and they love to roll their eyes at each other and talk about why they, their point of view is probably better and, and back and forth. But I want to say that um, optimism and pessimism are both coping mechanisms. They're both ways that we use to deal with stress. They're both ways that we, we look at things so that we can get through a stressful time. And I want to submit to you that before Jesus was resurrected, his disciples, the people that followed him, were using the coping mechanism of optimism. Now, don't think I'm getting down on optimism. But let me explain. It was an unhealthy kind of optimism. Um, they had built their faith on the idea that everything was going to turn out exactly the way they imagined it. Now, they imagined it good, but they had imagined it that it was going to turn out exactly the way that they wanted. And when that optimism failed, because that was their foundation, when that crumbled, they had nothing left to stand on, so they all abandoned him. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever thought something really good was going to happen, and then when it didn't, it created this faith crisis for you? I have. I have. And yet, I have to say, when the followers of Jesus started getting persecuted, I don't think they were optimistically persecuted. They weren't saying, oh, can't wait to really get beaten a good one for Jesus. But when it happened, they rejoiced. They weren't going out looking, how can I get beaten? I mean, that's sick. There's something wrong with somebody who's just trying to get beaten. But when it happened, they used that as a badge of honor, as a purple heart. There's something honoring about that, that they, that they were considered worthy to suffer for Jesus. And so, I think that they had misused optimism before Jesus died as their coping mechanism. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. I think that optimism is an important thing. It is one of the core things that, that we want to believe. Every time I step into a situation, Jesus can show up and shift that and transform it in amazing ways. I don't want to let go of optimism but I can't let that be my foundation. Because if it doesn't work out the way that I think it will, I'm going to go into crisis mode. Think of it this way. Do you remember when the pandemic started? And the optimists were saying, this is going to last a week. And if you put all of your faith in that, where would you be right now? You'd be pretty miserable, right? On the other hand, if you put your faith in optimism and you use that as your coping mechanism and it doesn't work out, there is also a danger to shift the other way and shift into pessimism. Pessimism is another coping mechanism. I'm just going to assume it'll never work out. That way I won't be disappointed. 
And so I don't have to, to have any faith, and I don't have to, to do anything. And one of the big problems with pessimism is it keeps us from reaching the potential that we have. When I'm at least going optimistically after things, I'm at least trying. I have prayed for a lot of people and not seen them get healed. But I do see more people get healed when I pray for them when I, than when I don't. I know that's really profound. When you try something, even if you're only a 10%, only 5%, only 1%, imagine if you prayed for 100 people with cancer and one of them got healed. Wouldn't that be amazing for that one? Wouldn't it? And so pessimism is a coping mechanism. We don't want to embrace that either. So what should we do? How did the disciples do it? What changed? I think they were still optimistic. I just don't think that was their foundation. I don't think they built everything on their optimism. This is what I think changed. It's exactly what Aaron talked about last week. Instead of ba basing things in optimism, they based them in hope. Now, those are similar words, but different. Hope is different than optimism. It's built differently. Let's look at Romans 5, 1 through 5. This is what it says. This is Apostle Paul writing this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. So starting with sufferings, hope, sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. So suffering to perseverance. Perseverance, character. Perseverance, next one's character. Character, and character, hope. There's a pathway laid out there. Suffering, then perseverance, then character, then hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, if I was to replace the word hope with optimism, it wouldn't make sense in that. Let me read this, just this portion of it. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope, or character optimism. That doesn't make sense. Suffering produces optimism? That doesn't make sense. But it does produce hope. So, like I said, I'm not criticizing optimism. I'm just saying we can't build, we need to build on hope. We need to start with hope. And hope, there's an, there are things we call hope that aren't really hope either. Hope that we pair with pessimism is just an excuse to not believe. Well, we're just going to go through and suffer this whole life and everything will be miserable, but one day things will be okay. That's hope paired with pessimism. That's not really hope. 
I want to live with optimism because optimists do great things. You don't know how many times optimists fail because they're always so positive. But over and over again, they, they fail 95% of the time. It's just the 5% is what they focus on. It's what they bring out. I want to be optimistic because every so often, God does do things exactly the way I think he's going to just to throw me off. I want to have that, that point of view. So let me tell you a little bit about my understanding of, of hope. And I've said this before, but I want to add a little bit of detail to it. So to me, hope is like Christmas presents on Christmas morning. The night before Christmas, you know that there's something down there. It's not like I hope it might happen. That's not the kind of hope we're talking about. You know that there's going to be something down there. But I want to stretch this out a little bit more. The way that God did this is you keep having hope as it's pointing towards something more. So when I had Christmas, when I was a kid, I'd be excited the night before, which that's the time, if I compare that to Scripture, that's the time they were waiting for a Messiah to come. He's coming. We just don't know when. We don't have the details. Well, then I came down on Christmas, and it was, if it was wrapped in a, a, a dumpy trash bag, that's kind of what happened, is Jesus died on a cross. He came as a baby. Didn't, the present wasn't wrapped the way that they thought it was going to be. But when they opened it up, that's when Jesus died and was resurrected, they could see that it was amazing. Now, when I was a kid on Christmas, my favorite thing to get was G.I. Joe's. And so I would open on Christmas, and I'd see this new G.I. Joe toy, and I'd be like, I'd so, and it was there. I, the, my hope was, was, was revealed. Except if you look on the back, it said, some assembly required. And that's kind of what happened when Jesus returned. You had, they, they waited for the Holy Spirit, and they're also waiting in hope of his return. Now, I had the present in my hand, but I still had some work to do to get to the point where I could actually do what I wanted with it. And that's us walking out in the Holy Spirit and waiting for his return. His return is when you've actually got the whole thing assembled and you actually get to use it. You actually get to have your adventures. So, to kind of summarize some things and, and put things here back together... How did the disciples, the followers of Jesus, shift from optimism as their foundation to hope? And how can we do that? Well, here's, I'll give you a few things. First of all, and probably foremost, Romans 5, 5, Holy Spirit. I just read it, but it says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. If you're not feeling hope, ask Holy Spirit. Let Him come and fill you. Don't work really hard to try to move yourself, motivate yourself to get hope. Be open and honest with Holy Spirit. I'm not feeling hope right now, and that tells me that I'm not feeling filled with you. 
I need a deeper filling. If you stop there, you're probably going to do pr plenty well, but I'll give you a few more things after that. The second thing is have a relationship with God. It's interesting, like, you think that you, you know how things are going to happen, but if you assume it, you're not really living in relationship. Jesus explained a lot of things that were going to happen, but the last thing that he explained, he didn't explain it in a lecture. He explained it in a meal. That's relationship. And so if you think you know how God works, you're probably not in relationship with him. Because he'll change it just to draw you, just to make you come back into relationship with him. Third thing is, optimism allowed them to will allow you to dream but don't let it allow you to demand god it has to happen this way and if it doesn't my faith is crushed let me tell you a, a quick story that i want to share so one of the big things in our culture is dreaming every the beginning of every year um, for january we, we make a dream list and they can be really deeply spiritual or they can be a little less, more frivolous. It doesn't matter because it's just an opportunity for you to, to be an open target for God to give you a blessing. This is not your list of demands, though. God, if you don't do this, I'm leaving. So I put on, and, and I'm going to share this story, and, and guys, please don't hold this against your wives because my wife is amazing, but don't say you've got to do this because Josh's wife Angie did this. I've had on my list for a little while now that I want to go to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. But I've held off on doing any kind of family trip because I would want to spend time there, I would want to read stuff, and my family would be bored out of their minds. And it wouldn't be much fun for, everybody, for anybody because I'm holding up everybody. And so... I would kind of put that on my list knowing, I don't know, maybe I'll make it happen on my own someday, maybe not. Well, for Christmas this year, Angie gives me a gift of a trip to Cooperstown. I'm like, this is amazing. Now it's not my fault if people are bored. <laughs> and so she and I go, um, you know, and, and, and it's just the two of us, and, and we go, and she's in there and actually interested in things, and, and eventually we get, you know, we go through all the history, and we get to the end where the plaques are, and I know most of the, the names on the plaques, and I want to go through and read them, and she says, I'm going to go over to the coffee shop for a little while, but you stay as long as you want. I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> And so, you know, I'm, I'm in there, and I'm not worried about the time. I'm not worried about anything. And I so enjoyed that. Now, if I hadn't written that on my dream list, it still would have been amazing. But now I can look at it and say, God filled that dream. And he used my beautiful wife, Angie, to do that. But what I didn't do is say, God, if I don't ever make it to Cooperstown, I'm done with you. Because you didn't feel, you didn't make my dreams come true. That's not it. That's not how we dream. That's arrogant optimism. That's not hope. 
a fourth thing that they did that, it, that we can do is focus on the fact that Jesus is going to return and not get too worried about when. It could be tomorrow. It could be this afternoon. It could be in a thousand years. I don't want to live my life different. I want to live my life in hope that he's coming. And then the last thing is... Um, They allowed Holy Spirit to fill them and convince them so much that Jesus was going to come back that their lives didn't matter. Because killing me won't stop Jesus coming back. Whatever part I get to play in that, whatever place I am in the midst of that, that's just extra blessing on me. And so I want to fill whatever role I can in him coming back that I can but I know I can't stop it. And I know whatever doesn't happen in my life is not going to stop that either because I put my hope in that. I know that that's coming. And it doesn't matter whatever trouble, whatever other things happen, it's going to happen. This is uh, Romans 8, 28. Very well-known verse. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I'm not saying God did everything, but he will use everything. We put it in his hand, and he will use crisis. He will use horrible things. And the last thing that I want to say, I want to let, let Anna come on up and kind of get us ready to close is as we go through things that we don't understand and we're, we're wondering, how, God, how does this add up? How can my faith be so confused right now? When we are in those situations, it gives us an opportunity to love unconditionally. God, I'm going to love you the way that you love me. I don't understand what you're doing right now, I don't understand what's going on, but I'm not going to let that dictate whether I love you or not. I'm going to continue to love you, Jesus, in spite of what I don't understand. If you don't know how to do that, find some people who do. Because we've got people in this church. We've got, we've got a couple in this church that have lost two children in advanced years, not babies. We've got a woman in this church that's lost two husbands that died. Part of the foundation of this church, the matriarch of this church, um, Greg's first wife, she died of cancer early on as this was growing. So if you want to know how hope was maintained, talk to people who've been through stuff and you can see they've still got hope and ask them, what did you do? How were you able to continue to grab on to hope when you went through that, you'll be surprised and blessed. All right, so let's all stand up. I'm going to close this. I'm going to invite the, the prayer teams to come on up as well. I want you to ask the Lord if there are any areas in your life that you had not allowed to have hope as the foundation. 
Have you used optimism instead of hope? Have you used pessimism to protect yourself instead of hope? Put your hand on your heart. We're going to ask Holy Spirit to fill you right now. Holy Spirit, I ask you to come right now and just reveal. Reveal any areas where we need you, where we need to build on hope. I pray that you would stir up hope, stir up hope in each of these people here this morning. People watching online, do the same thing. You're all part of this. Lord, we bless each person here with the foundation of hope and the ability to be optimistic with that not being their foundation. God, we thank you for each one. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like prayer, I'd like you to invite you to come on up. You can come to pray about any of these things I talked about. If you don't know Jesus, please, please let this be the day that you come to him. We'd love to have some people pray with you. You're blessed. Be released. Have a great day and live in hope.